goading. And we're trying to understand goading, and this week we'll talk about how to resist it. And then next week we'll talk about how to replace it. Um, in goad we trust, a goad is a prod. If you look at the thing that's in the this rancher, the shepherd, his right hand, it can be a stick or a pointed object that is a means to control animals, to force them to go in the direction that this individual or a person goading wants them to go. And therefore, to kick against the goads, if you would imagine this guy sticking one of these sheep and then they, in resisting being stuck and forced, kick back against it, that's what it means to kick against the goads. It means to resist someone's influence. You're being propelled in a direction and you resist moving in that direction. To resist going in the direction the one who's goading you to walk in wants you to go. And with this in mind, as we think about what a goad is and what it means to be goaded, let's, I'm going to read Acts chapter 26, and Jesus is going to apply this to Paul. And let's see what he says. Paul is describing this event to a king, and he writes, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession, against them. We looked at what an obsession is. He was a raving lunatic and in self-described when he thought about this and when he said about it, maybe spit flew out of his mouth. That's how incensed he was against the church. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Common to interpret God as the one who is doing the goading. You know, so God is goading Paul to accept and, I, and, and to believe in the fact that Jesus is God and that Paul keeps on resisting, kicking against God's influence, kicking against God's goads. This is normally how this passage is interpreted. I don't think it fits the picture of that Paul paints because when God wants to exert influence, he is far from subtle. And Paul writes, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. When Paul exerts influence, he doesn't goad. His influence is overwhelming. He doesn't need to goad. So if that is the case, what is Jesus saying when he says it's hard for you to kick against the goads? Who's goading Paul? And what does it mean that it's hard to kick against? How do we resist that? And as we've seen as a Jewish leader, Paul would have been pressured to join the Jewish resistance movement to Roman rule. The Romans had been the rulers over Israel for a period of time. 
A goad is the weapon of a resistance movement. If you are a conquered people, you don't get swords. The best thing you have is a spear or a sharp object that you sharpen into a weapon, a goad. And it's the sign of a resistance movement. You are a conquered, oppressed people. You don't get swords because your rulers don't want to give you the opportunity to rebel. So you have to use a goad. It's the symbol of a resistance movement. His fellow Pharisees were convinced that it was God's will to allow Israel to overthrow Rome. And so they were goading Paul, judging him in order to force him to take up their cause and get involved. Now, it was one thing for them, but for Paul it was tricky because Paul was a person who did what he was supposed to do. The problem was he was a Roman citizen and he was loyal to Roman law, and he was a Jewish Pharisee, and he was loyal to Jewish law. So what is he going to do? The Jews are prodding him, saying, you better take up arms and overthrow Rome. And as a Jew, Paul wanted to be loyal to that influence, but he was a Roman, and that would be treason in terms of being a Roman citizen. You're not supposed to aid and abet one of the dominated people, you're not supposed to do that. What's, he, what's Paul supposed to do? If he goes in this direction, he betrays his Romanness. If he goes in this direction, he betrays his Jewishness. And that's the problem that he finds himself in. He was being pulled in half. And Jesus identifies the goading that is happening, especially from the Jewish side. God wants you to pick up arms against the Romans. He, he is telling you to do that. And, and Paul is kicking against this influence, but it's hard. Jesus identifies this influence as the root of Paul's problem. When he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He doesn't wait for Paul to answer the question. He answers the question. Here's the deal, Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And it was hard for Paul to deal with. It was hard for him to deal with the pressure. It was hard for him to resist the prodding to join the Jewish resistance movement because he wanted to be part of them. But he also, do you understand his dilemma? He's pulled in half. It was driving him crazy. And he got an idea. Do you know how he could submerge this tension? By picking of them a target Jews and Romans would accept the church. The Romans, they didn't understand the church. They weren't as opposed to it as the Jews were. So what Paul did, he got a mission, a mission from God. And what we identify, he thought it was a mission from God, but what was it really? It was a mission from God. God and God are not always the same. And that's what we're going to try to understand. JC is going to come up in a little bit. And we're going to talk about how to resist Goading, and we're going to try to understand how we do that. How to resist goading? It's, it's important to understand that goading is rooted in judgment. It's rooted in judgment. We're going to talk about that a little bit. To resist goading, we resist judgment. Here's what judge means. To separate. That's literally what it means to judge. To separate. And if I am going to judge something, I am going to put it in two different piles. One pile, two piles. I've separated it. And in the case of judgment within a spiritual context, good goes in one side and bad goes in the other. That's when you judge. 
when you judge something. And when you think of what we judge, we judge people. There's good people and bad people. We judge thoughts. There's good thoughts and bad thoughts. We judge attitudes. Good attitudes, bad attitudes. Actions, good actions, bad actions. We naturally do this. It's not possible not to do it. But what we want to talk about is that the influence of judgment on us, and more importantly, what's God's opinion of this? If judgment is, it leads to goading. Is that something God wants us to do? Judging goads us to take control. What ends up happening once we determine good and bad, what do we have to do? We have to increase the good and remove the bad. And you know what we end up doing once we identify good and bad thoughts? We, with the thoughts, we go, I've got to think this more often. This is a good thought. How about the bad thought? I've got to control that thought. I've got to get rid of that thought. And you know what we do? We, we take up arms against that thought. We try to control it. Now, there's some things you can take control of. There's some actions you can control. Attitudes are a little bit more different. Wouldn't you agree? It's harder to control an attitude. How about a thought? It's really difficult to control a thought, to get rid of a thought. And what ends up happening, that's what we do when we judge. We end up, don't just sit there, do something. And this is what they were doing to Paul. Don't just sit there, Paul. The Romans are in charge. And then we end up doing this to ourselves. Don't just sit there, do something. Don't think that. Okay? You know how easy that is. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't, don't, don't. Stop it. Stop it. And what am I doing now? Goading. Stop. Goading happens when you identify good and bad. And then you take arms against the thing that's bad. Judging, goading, judging goads us to take control. And what we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're talking about resisting judgment because to resist goading, we have to resist judgment. Now, this is something we're going to have to understand. Aren't we supposed to judge? Aren't we supposed to judge ourselves? Aren't we supposed to judge others? Hmm. Resist external judgment. Goading was born in the Old Testament. It was acceptable. It was something that you had to do. There were commandments. They were posted on rocks. And what was important for mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters is to get people to obey the things that were written on the rocks. Right? And that's the way the system worked. It was acceptable. It was the way things worked. It didn't work real well because there's some things you could change. You know, one of the things that was written on the rock, you know, don't commit adultery. You know, Jesus kind of raised the bar on don't commit adultery. He said, you can't lust. Okay. Don't murder. <laughs> I can, he made it don't commit, don't be angry with your brother. You know what the, the thing written on the rock, that's the one that I don't know why we don't talk about. It's never mentioned that much. It's the tenth thing that was written on the rock. You know what the tenth thing is? Don't covet. Don't want what your neighbor wants. How's that working for you? (laughs) 
Drive down I-29, I-220, and look up on the left at some of the houses. Don't want them. Don't. Don't. Look at this sweater. <laughs> I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Mike, okay, I don't go there. This was a lot easier. <laughs> okay, okay. We identify something good in what the Bible says. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's life. That's the thing written on the rock. And we talk about one through nine, but we eliminate ten. You know what coveting is? Being passionate about something. Be content with what you have. Don't covet what you don't have. How many of you are able to handle that one? You know what we do when we make this coveting, we make it something more. That it's just wanting, passionate about something. It's something that, you know why I think we dismiss that one? Because the other nine things are more possible to do. But if we identify coveting as part of the bad thing, that's the thing that Paul ran up against. That's the problem with judgment. Because you know what God is going to judge? And listen to this. He's not just judging your actions. You know what God is judging? Your thoughts. Your thoughts. How good are you at controlling your thoughts? Really, when you get up in the morning and those thoughts, the worrisome thoughts get into your head, you didn't ask them to come. They were just there. How about when you go to bed at night? Tough day. You want to talk to God and you talk to him at night and, and God, you're not talking to God at all, just the things that happen in the day and the resentment, and you try to control it. That's bad. i got to stop that thinking. And then we get tied up in that. You know what we end up doing? Going to war with ourselves. Going to war with ourselves. There's no rest there. We're so busy, tangled up in ourselves, we have no time to develop a relationship with them. We're too busy being goaded and goading. Jesus came and said something interesting, Matthew 11. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. You know the image of forcefully advancing? People in the Old Testament were strong people. They weren't sissies. They really, and, and that happened in the Old Testament. It happened with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not a wimp. He didn't eat quiche. He didn't wear Sweaters like this. <laughs> I'm really getting in trouble. I'm just, um, he, you know, camel hair, scratchy stuff, ate locusts dipped in honey. Honey battered locusts. From the John, from the days of John, about as nice as that sweater, Mike. That's about it. Okay. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Forceful men lay hold of it. And then later on in that same chapter, he says, come to me. Jesus says, all who, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Forcefully advancing suggests high-pressure methods. High-pressure methods were used by the prophets. High-pressure methods were used by John the Baptist. Were high-pressure methods used by Jesus? 
were high-pressure methods used by Jesus? No. You know what he did? Jesus revoked goading. He didn't goad. He was very direct with those who he needed to censure, but he didn't just kind of prod. He tipped tables over when he needed to rebuke something. He... You know what I think? There is no such thing as goading in Jesus' name. There is no such thing as goading in Jesus' name. If someone claims to be goading in Jesus' name, it is not Jesus whom they're serving. Would you agree? Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, as my burden is light. Does Jesus goad? Do those who represent Jesus goad? Is it really representing Jesus? No, it is not. God doesn't goad. That's the thing that Paul experienced when he ran into Jesus. They were indicating, Jesus wants you to do this, Paul. And, and when he did, was confronted by Jesus, he goes, Paul, what are you doing? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And you know what Paul saw as Jesus was standing there? The goads weren't in Jesus' hands. He thought Jesus was the one that was goading him. But he wasn't. Do you know what one of the things in our spiritual lives that is a point of transition is when we understand that the people that goaded us weren't speaking for Jesus. They just claimed to be. Jesus doesn't goad. And when that happens, we start to develop a relationship with him that's not quite as much based on fear. Um, the greatest battle Paul faced, come on up, Jeff, was people who goaded in Jesus' name. That's the greatest battle Paul faced, people who goaded in Jesus' name, people who put new wine in old skins. Jay, talk a little bit about, I know Stronghold, you captured a phrase to describe how you wanted to do business yep. at Stronghold Counseling, guidance without judgment. Yeah, hope without. How does that work here? How can change exist without judgment? Well, that 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 phrase came from um, a long journey of coming to a place where we started to understand, or at least I started to understand as the leader at Stronghold, that people don't expose themselves to judgment. They don't expose themselves to evaluation. Hmm. So exposed meaning they don't open themselves no. up when there's judgment there. No, and our 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 intent was to create a place where people could come, uh, where the righteous could come and be safe. And safe and judgment don't go hand in hand. They don't go hand in hand. And so what we found is that when we we're a counseling ministry that's at the door of the church. And so what happens there is we intentionally want people who are just outside faith or just outside a connection with the Father. We want that to be a welcome place as well as the bruised and beat up in the church. But what we decided was that it was more important to guide and to point and, and help people move along without separating and sorting. 
they, they're doing that on their own. They're doing that on their own. When they come, they, they, they're telling me what's good and what's bad, and they'll tell me why they need to be here, and, and, that, and so I don't get into that. How have you found, so in change through guidance, would you agree with me, change through judgment and change through guidance are very different things. With guidance, you don't do as much good. How does that work, JC, in terms of what does a practice look like that, is, that, that emphasizes guidance and de-emphasizes judgment? The hardest thing that, for me that that looks like is guidance takes lots of time because I'm, I'm guiding you with a little T. I have a small T understanding of what truth is for me as I see it, not for you. But you're coming and you're asking me to walk with you. But I know somebody who has a big T, and he may use circumstances and situations to help turn the corners. And so I don't spend a bunch of time anymore getting big or being loud or trying to be smart. I spend more time trying to connect and trying to grace people and mercy people and love people indirectly than I do trying to stand on stand in the truth and point out the truth and that kind of thing. And what we see is that people come and they quietly creep in and open up their heart and say, well, yesterday I was drinking and I shouldn't have been drinking, looking at me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it's so. You know, more often in my office, more than any other place in my life, people will say, where can I learn about the Jesus you just described? So I say to people, so you were drinking last night, and you were drinking this morning. If God came in the front door, what would he say? As soon as I say that, they get the judgment face. They turn away from the door. Oh, I don't want to see him. Then they ask the question. What do you think they would say? And I say, God would say, it's good to see you, Terry. And I, I saw you last night. How about we sit together and talk about that? Invariably, people start to cry. Because they didn't expect God to be that way. So if God's not going to stand in the face of our wickedness and judge, then I got to work not to. Wickedness is bad. But it doesn't, it isn't the justification for being judgmental. So you're saying then judgment can change, but its change is only skin deep and short lived. If yes. you're going to change somebody's heart, mm. you can't frighten somebody into opening no. up and giving you access to the place that happens inside. Yeah. That takes something that, other that than takes judgment. Something. That takes long term connection. That takes. Long-term inspection, that takes the capacity to get people to look themselves at that stuff. Most of us are afraid to look. True? Most of us got stuff going on, we don't want to look at it. Or we look at it, and I'll talk about it later, we look at it and we do something else. But most of us don't want to look. I, I mean, more people who say, I'm good, dude. I'm good. Liar. 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 But that's a judgment. That's goading. I can't do that. So what I do is sit and go, okay, you know, okay, Lord, help me. Because the hard part is for me is it's hard for me to keep my mouth shut. It's hard for me to know things and not say stuff right away. It's help because I've you know, 
I was telling I was telling Adam, I, I'm, he said, "How old are you, dude?" I said, "54." He said, "No way!" So the whole time we're playing, he looks at me, and says, "I still can't believe it, man." You know, he. <laughs> No, 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 no. That'd be you. Let's, let's see how this works. I'm 60. He's not there. I don't see any disbelief on his face whatsoever. I, I, I see laughing. I see hope. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But it's that whole notion of being able to just. And, 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 and I say this. I'm not saying this as the expert. I'm saying this because it was done for me. I'm not saying this because. I read it in a book, and, and boy, I know the scriptures better than anybody in the building. I'm saying for me, what I had to learn was that when I addressed my own judgment and, and became had a remedy for it, then I could receive guidance, and God could walk all in my life. You know, there's been times I've had encounters, and I don't mean woo-woo, whatever, but where I feel like God's pointed in my gut. The weirdest thing about it is every time he pointed in my gut, there was no judgment. There was no evaluation. There was no righteousness looking down at me. When he said ugly things or when brothers came to me in his name and said painful things to me, I look in their eyes and no judgment. No looking down. No, you suck. So then I started to say, okay, I got to give that. So when we put Stronghold together in 93, our goal was to create a place where it would be safe to do inspection. you got to get judgment out the room. So it's in terms of the way we treat others, guidance without judgment, how does that sound? And it seems like what you're saying is guidance without judgment, we need to practice that in terms of our own inner thoughts you can't judge and do, and then that they call that hypocrite. They call that hypocrite. Now, if I'm frowning on the outside, I'm frowning on the inside. That's not a hypocrite. But I, I'll, you know, on a on a on a bad nerve day, I'm one of these. Days. <laughs> How you doing? You know, inside I'm looking at you like that. Outside I'm smiling. But but. But that dividedness is what we're talking about. When we're divided, we do what would get us what we want. We want to keep what we have and get what we want. And that's what Golding is about. Keep what I have, get what I want. Keep what I have, get what I want. And it doesn't work in the change work. When I, I We do a lot of recovery work with lots of different recovery, from drinking to eating, sex, all that stuff. And people aren't going to show me. If I'm looking at them goofy, they'll just put it away. And they'll find, because people are already expecting that when they come see me. They're already expecting, I got to talk to them about that thing. So I got to meet them. And I do a lot of work with kids who already, because I'm older, already have an attitude with me, right? And so when I meet them where they're at, which is practicing guidance, not judgment. Well, he says what ends up happening is when somebody comes and expects, when they say the thing, and they expect that. And when that doesn't come, it opens up things. And so when there's not goading, then there's exposure. Safe. Safe. And it's a very powerful time when they come to understand you represent God 
you didn't goad, God doesn't goad? Resist external judgment, resist internal judgment. Um, what it says, Romans 7, is the law sin? Certainly not. And what it's saying, okay, is judgment bad? Is the law bad? Are the commandments bad? No. No, they're not bad, but here's what happens. He goes on, Paul writes, Certainly not, I, indeed I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Um, Adam, come on up. I'm going to have Adam and David. Okay. I'm going to get Adam because David, this is, Adam is a covetous thought inside my head. What does a covetous thought look like, Adam? I have no idea what it looks like. <laughs> okay. Adam is a covetous thought. No, he's okay. He'll, he'll just, you, you won't need to say anything. You can give it back. Okay. Adam is a covetous thought. So, and what happens in my head, now I'm, now this is, and Adam's in my head, and he's a covetous thought, and now, bing, do not come, oh, no. Now, David is sin. Sin here, <laughs> sin here is not an act. This is very important. It's a power. Sin is not an act here. It's a power. When it said sin has mastery, it's not that an act has mastery, but sin as a power. It's like a king. David is king sin. And so here's what's going to happen. I am alerted to the fact that there is a covetous thought. Coveting is bad. What am I going to try to do? I'm going to try to contain it. I'm going to need to control this thought. Now, I'm going to move towards this covetous thought, trying to control it. Maybe I'll do brainwashing, or maybe I'll try to punish myself and pick nose hairs out and, and cause pain to myself. Or I'm going to try. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to move toward this. And it says, sin seizes the opportunity afforded by the commandment. Let me tell you what that is. Do you know what jujitsu is? When you throw a punch and I take the force of your punch and I use it to, to throw you on your back, that's what sin does when we rush at ourselves. I am rushing at this covetous thought, trying to control it. And you know what David does? He uses my effort. And I end up in a worse place than I was before. Now, I might be unrighteous and, oh, I'm so covetous, and so I'm just going to be covetous. Coveting, 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 coveting. Or I might not be coveting, but I see that you are. And I don't become unrighteous. I become self-righteous. And, of course, this isn't a sin. I'm going to rush at this, and by the time David's done with me, I will be more unrighteous or self-righteous than I was before. That's how sin operates. We goad ourselves. How many of you identify with that picture? Our heads are loud. How many of you identify with that picture? 
We all do. Some of us, we look at ourselves. Some of us do this at ourselves. And we're pointing at ourselves. You know why we're doing this? We've already judged ourselves. We've already divided good into bad, and we're trying to rush, not understanding that that is not going to help us. It's not going to help us. JC, come on back up. Um, we can relate to this, and it seems that this was happening in Paul's head. He was, I'm, I'm, I'm a Roman and I'm a Jew, so this internal tension developed an external target. So his stuff was, you understand, his stuff was happening on the inside. Here's where the problem was. But you know the people that were getting hit is people on the outside. How does that work, JJ? How does it work that I might have something internal happening, but then my wife gets hit, and my husband gets hit, and my kids, they get the brunt. How does it work when you're externalized? So what has happened is that I have to have something that I hate. How many of you have something you hate? Now, how many of you have someone you hate? Okay. Some, some of you was like, I'm not supposed to do that in church. Like, I'm not supposed to say that in church. Stop it. Let me ask you again. How many of you have someone you hate? All you do. All of you do. Okay. But how many of you have something you hate or some issue that you hate? Okay. All right. Now, how many of you would say, I have some part of me I hate? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you lying to yourself. Okay, we all have that. So what happens is this: for me, it starts this way. I become a Christian. I'm a basketball player. I'm a student. I'm in an all-white college, and I hate the situation I'm in. I picked up this basketball to make life work. It doesn't work. My sophomore year, I come back to the school in the best shape I've ever been, the strongest I've ever been, and I'm killing people in practice. In fall practices, I'm murdering people, dunking on people, you know, all kinds of stuff. That you Like, it's crazy. The coach puts the teams together. He puts the list up the day before the season starts, and I'm on JV. Oh, you got to be kidding me. So I became the bane of the varsity's existence on purpose. Okay? Become the bane. I'm like, I'm like, coaches literally stopping practice because I'm just taking my rage out on them. And I, I was the guy that played the, the best guard on the, the team we were going to play. I would play you left-handed. I would play you right-handed and talk about your mama and everything <laughs> in practice. Because I treated people like they were the enemy, Right? Here's what was interesting. I didn't like me, so I didn't trust you. I didn't value me, so I might value you if you had what I wanted. But if you didn't have what I wanted, I didn't value you either. So what happens is I'm, I'm divided on the inside. There's parts of me I like, parts of me I hate. Now, here's the problem. I become a Christian. And I become a Christian in a place where they can teach me how to do the good things and stop doing the bad stuff. So I buy in. Except for the bad stuff don't stop. And I now, I, now I'm really in a bad. Because at least when I wasn't a Christian, I could act like a jerk. <laughs> now I am a Christian, so now I can't. 
And I, so what do I do? I try really hard to do the good things, and the bad stuff keeps happening, and my head keeps talking to me. And I, but what happens is I would do something, judge it, and pull away. Do something, judge it, and pull away from people. Okay? And then, but if you met me, I would say, well, I can't trust people. I can't trust you. Guy hugged me once. He said, dude, hugging you is like hugging, hugging a milk carton. I said, because I asked you to hug me. I don't want nothing to do with you. I, and I would say, I don't like people. Who was it that was, who was the problem? Was it you guys? I could have even did the white thing, but I didn't. I just hate everybody. I didn't like black, black dudes. I didn't like white people. I didn't like anybody. I stayed to myself. And I said to myself, if anything's going to get done, I got to do it. So if you got my way, then you got judgment. Whose problem was that? It was still mine, right? So it happens easy. You have something inside you you hate. Instead of seeing it for what it is, because, see, when we don't understand grace, I can't look at it. I, I grew up in a church that taught me God so hates sin that he, anybody heard that before? So I thought, well, I got to hate sin. And then I practiced in the church where they, they, they treated sin like raid, like you got to spray some sort of raid on it, and it'll go away. Like I, I had roaches in my house. You spray raid on a roach, they turn upside down, feet straight in there. You spray raid on sin, it turns atomic. <laughs> it gets big. It don't get small. Don't die. You got to spray grace on the, on, the, on the sin roach. You can't spray law or, and so I was spraying the wrong bug spray. And the stuff in my head just got worse. I'm madder. Now I'm married. I don't want to be, I mean, I'm, you know, I work for my wife. That's it. I don't know how to relate with her. I don't know how, I got these little kids and freak me out, you know. And it wasn't until I started to hear the first message I heard that flipped my buzzer was, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this goofy, bald, bald head dude, old dude, probably had about 60 years old or whatever, <laughs> was preaching. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Maybe he wasn't 60. I'm sorry. <laughs> but he, he, said, he said in the sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit means blessed are you at the end of your road. I said, now, God talking to me there, because I got nothing. Man, look at these pockets. I got nothing. <laughs> it ain't working. This faith thing ain't working. Reading the Bible ain't I don't even want to read the Bible. Got out of seminary, put my Bible on the shelf, and said, I'm done with that. Then I started to hear about grace. Then I started going to a 12-step meeting for my stuff. You know, then I started connecting. I would sit in the meetings and listen to people and go, that dude said the same thing I'm thinking on. I wasn't. I was afraid to say it out loud. And what? And when I started to have the people come alongside me, and I started to believe, not. I, I used to be one of these guys who just believed in Jesus. Like Jesus is cool, but the Father, man, I got nothing to do with him. But it changed for me a few years back because the Father became important because I could see that He was loving. And when I started to understand that, I could 
allow him to inspect my head. And I started momentarily. I have moments of glory where I wouldn't, I'd have a bad thought or I'd do something goofy and I wouldn't feel bad about it. Now, that's weird. I told Mike once, I said, dude, this grace thing is weird because I feel like a sociopath now. So I do stuff bad and I, I, I'm like, like, oh, man, what's wrong with you? I'm like, God got me. You know, God got me. And, I, and then when I started to do that, Guidance started to happen. I could I could be with people and not project that stuff out. See, here's the deal. Somebody taught me once, watch who you point at because there's three pointing back. And anytime you you passionate about something, you spitting at people, you better be careful because there's three things pointing to the same spot and we just can't see it. In our business, we call it projection. I have a shameful piece in me, can't see it, but I can see it in other people. The Bible calls it a log. The Bible calls it a log. It's in you, but you see it in other people's eyes. And and what I had to do was begin to come to grips with J.C., being divided, and that he could handle it. And if I could believe that I was one of his kids and that a father loved me, you love me. And what I decided was I don't like the word love. Try this on. If I say it to all you guys, you know Jesus loves you, right? You guys go, some of you go, whatever, dude. It's religious talk. But if I said this, at your worst, the Father likes you. See, for me, that had a whole different impact. Like, he likes me? Oh, man. Like, right now? Still? And then my eyes start going up instead of sniffing stuff, right? When that happens, then the internal battle starts to soften. Now, does it go away? It doesn't go away. Apparently, the scripture says in Galatians 5 (laughs) that this will continue until we see heaven. So now I run away from people who promise me I can live free of sin. Really? Dude, I'm out. (laughs) I can't sit under that. You know, now, does sin dominate? Sometimes. But the Father's voice is louder and louder and louder in my head now. And he competes where he used to couldn't compete. Does that make sense? He competes now. I I do this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, where I couldn't do that before. And that ain't me. That, That, you know, so my capacity to give it is from receiving it. Does that make sense? Amen. We end up finding that um, we really think that we're qualified to judge good and bad. How long have we had that notion? Maybe from the garden? We think we have the capacity to determine good and evil. And there's some things in our life that we would call bad that can make us useful. You know what good means to God? Not that you're pretty but that you're useful. Some of us believe that God's making ornate lights, very pretty and decorative lights that are very fragile and you have to watch out and dust them. God is not interested in that. The world is lost. He needs searchlights. Aluminum, hard flashlights that aren't pretty, 
but that are useful. What do you want to be? Pretty or useful? If you're going to be useful, you're going to struggle with some things that you would call bad because God is not invested in giving you victory over sin. Because you know what? You don't have to have victory over every sin to be useful, do you? How many of us would go to a person who said, I used to sin, but don't anymore. Oh, that's useful. Mm-hmm, that, that, that'll really do it. How many of you are going to open yourself up to someone like that? Again, now we're not going to be raging, what's in me, what's in me. We're authentic. We're in the game, but we're not perfect. The Father's voice is getting louder and louder. And as the voice, Father's voice gets louder, guess what ends up happening? We become more and more gentle. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Jesus. Because Jesus was gentle. Jesus was gentle. He would have us be gentle with ourselves. Resist internal judgment. And again, if you're like me, that's me. But it's less me than it used to be. His voice is getting louder and louder. And I'm a little more gentle with myself. And if I'm more gentle with myself, I can be more gentle with you. And if you're more gentle with yourself, you can be more gentle with me. And people can see it. And then they'll say, that smells like, that smells like heaven. Gentleness, not judgment. Worship team, come on up. We pray for us. Father, thank you for um, telling us about yourself, um, reflecting the things that allow us to increase in love and decrease in fear. These things are like on opposite sides of a teeter-totter. It's really hard. Judgment is so natural. It feels so right to try to control things. It makes sense, though, what we hear that in the, in the long run, we end up being isolated from ourselves and others. We don't end up being gentle, but we're kind of stuck in between. And would you continue to tell us things about yourself that would enable us to be less judgmental? We still deal with it, but could you help that to go down so that love could go up and gentleness could go up? We'd like to go in that direction. And you're not impatient with us. You don't goad us to become loving. You're gentle. You're patient. Thanks for that. Help us to continue to be more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Next week we'll talk about how to replace goading.